Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Have a super extra special guest today, Dr. Frederick of Freddy Starr, who is a computational neuroscientist and psychiatrist. He's a global leader in mental health. Dr. Starr is a renowned pioneer in the field of cloud-based remote guided neurofeedback, and he's also the founder and CEO of Minerva. Hello, Dr. Starr. How are you doing? I'm terrific. How are you? Fine. Thank you very much. I'm a little bit humbled to have you on the show. I think IQ perspective, you're probably, you know, very high in the ranks. Not that I'm, I'm calling, humbled to be here. <laughs> not that I'm calling my other guests, you know, on the lower IQ, but they're with me. I mean, anytime you have uh, someone of your caliber and that dedic- has dedicated its life to uh, study and research of neuroscience, that's uh, definitely humbling. So welcome again. So I understand. I know that you're living in a very exotic place, so, but I'm hold on. I'm going to hold off on that. I want to ask you about that. And I, I really want to go back to basics. I want to know who doctors, how, who Dr. Star is and how you became to be who you are as a child. Can you share what you enjoy doing? Did you ever dream about becoming a neuroscientist or what, what was that journey like? Yes, I think I did. Okay. <laughs> I, think I, I think I might have. I mean, my father was a physicist, but I, when they asked me in kindergarten what I wanted to be, I didn't, I couldn't say physicist. I, I said psychiatrist. Oh, wow. Okay. And That's... they were like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> so that was kind of like a joke. That is, I imagine I, I have a kindergartner and I, I mean, if she says she wants to be a psychiatrist, I would be scared. <laughs> I would be scared too if my child said that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I was just a, a kid who was always a scientist. I mean, I was always in, in school gravitating towards biology and computers and, you know, I grew up around electronics and you know, that kind of stuff in, in science. So for me, it was just natural. I was going to be, I went to college going into science and then I wasn't sure if I was going to be a doctor because it's such a huge commitment. I didn't know if I wanted to do it, but then, you know, the bug bit me and you know that was what I wanted to really dedicate my life to, which was helping people. Wow. And, and, and it's amazing. And I think for people with your career, uh, I think you, the, the passion has to be there. Otherwise you don't get through it. And uh, a big part of my podcast is about how people sometimes digress from their passion. And then, you know, know, midway through life, sometimes we are called to going back to base and say, am I passionate about what I do? But I think in a career like yours, probably takes different... Well, that's exactly what happened to me. Okay. That's why I think you're a great (laughs) guest for this podcast. So tell me about it. Well, it jumps ahead a little bit. But in my life, I was just traditional. I was a doctor and I worked in university and hospital and a practice. And, you know, I, 
I thought that was going to be the course of my life. And um, at one point, um, I was um, I, I was the father, and my daughter was um, of a child who was ill. She had epilepsy, and unfortunately, it was something that medicine was not going to cure. Wow. And it eventually took her life at the age of six years old. Wow! Which Sorry. was um, that was um, that was twelve years ago. Oh wow! That's yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it gets easy, but it's something I can talk about. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and thank you for sharing that. I, uh, my daughter is six years old, so I cannot even begin to imagine. And for someone as of science, like you say that that you are a doctor and you have your child has something that you cannot help with, I cannot imagine. Yeah, even considering that was the field that I was pretty much working in. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, but so you're putting that emotion. I know that you took the. You know, this was obviously as it would be for anybody, a big hit, and you reshuffled your life from that. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I exited my life for a while. I gave up being Dr. Star for a while. I even changed my name and just lived on the beach with my buddies and surfed and, you know, did long-term meditation retreats in, in the wilderness in Puna, Big Island. If anybody knows what that, where that is. Yeah, well, I think so. I think there's t-shirts around it, right? <laughs> <All around the big surfers. laughs> Yeah, Were so you a surfer before? Let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, my whole life. Um, I've been a waterman since I was a child. Um, I was water skiing when I was very little and surfing, windsurfing when I was 10. Uh-huh. So uh, it's always been a very, very big part of my life. That And thank you for asking because we are jumping. I know there's so much we can talk about with you that sometimes I try, I dig into like, what were your passions when you were a child? So that was obviously one of them. Waves. The biggest. Uh-huh. Waves. Brain waves, ocean waves. Oh, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Waves. I like that. Yeah. So when in, in the moment where, where things went dark and life tried you, uh, you went back to that passion. So that's to me, is the back to basics. That's so exactly you- what I did. Yeah. I went back to what I loved and just, that's what I did. Yeah. And uh, did you ever think that when you went to that, like being a very successful doctor, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you had your life going for you. Was that your only child? I know you had no. three do- uh-huh, at that time. Uh, no, no. Okay. I had okay. other children. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's also hard because then you have all your life and other responsibilities and now, but you needed the time for you. Exactly. There was and- no, there was no me. There was no you, I imagine. And and you took what the necessary steps to to so you still took be ra- alive today, yeah. I think that's important because I think yeah. in times of great grief, people sometimes feel that you cannot give up on you, uh, to use your own words, and that you have to keep going, but they don't realize that unless you are in a better place or a stable place, you cannot be the best you can be for others, neither. Yeah. I mean, I meant there just was no me. I mean, I was just dead inside. I, I, there was nothing there. There was nothing left to give. And and were you, were you a man of faith at that point? Did, did faith no. was a part of it? No. No, there was a transformation. No, no, I went through a transformation. Yeah. I'm interested in that. <laughs> probably nobody asks you about that in their podcast, but that's the part like where you get strength from in those kind of times. Well, so yeah, that's an interesting story. I don't tell it much, um, but I wrote it. No, 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 no. If you asked me, I would have said, no, I was an atheist. 
Okay. I mean, okay. I was a, tra- a traditional Jewish person, so I practiced the religion, but only because of culture. I see. I see. They and call meditate? that a secular Jew. Oh, yeah. I meditated since I was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting, because I'm very spiritual and religious, but I just recently kind of committed more to meditation and it has been a great, uh, I wouldn't say discovery, but great addition to, let's say, my daily life. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, you know, we can talk about that and some of the science behind it as well. But the, you know, the with meditation, I was purely doing that because of the scientific reasons. Uh-huh. And- And it's still the same or then it, because of the transformation? I, I would love to talk about that. Well, um, so yeah, where do I start? I was, um, I had this experience, I guess, where well, it was a whole week of things. It was a whole week of things. It was July uh, 4th of 2008. It's a little all blurry back then, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was July of 2008. And I hadn't visited my uh, late daughter Anna's graveside. I couldn't go, but I finally went and I was sitting there and um, a butterfly uh, landed on my hand. <laughs> and it didn't just land on my hand. It started flying around and landing on my hand. And then I gave it water and it was drinking water from my hand. Wow. And I literally, like it was literally so in my hand that I took my phone camera and I took a picture of it mm. and then it flew around and it landed on my ear and I, I took a picture of it and I walked out of the cemetery with the with the butterfly on my ear oh my god that's amazing and then I was driving and I saw there was like I felt this great urge to go into this store uh, it was like a, a store of like a, I don't know ephemera like um new age stuff like okay just random stuff like crystals and psychic and, and i wouldn't have really i never even saw the store before i swear i might have even just materialized that day but i drove that route all the time but i just knew i was supposed to go in there and i went in and i was just walking around walking around walking around and i was like why am i here and then all of a sudden i look up on a shelf and there's like a little it's like a wooden rattle and it has my name on oh Wow. With an exclamation point. Wow. 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 So yes. I take it off and I turn it over and it says angel on the other side. Oh my God. Wow. What a powerful message. So I take the rattle and I buy it. Of course. I was about to say, you, you better have bought it. <laughs> <laughs> and I end up finding out later. Well, I call the guy who imported it. I find out who it is and I. I called him and I'm like, what is this? What is this rattle? And he's like, oh, that's um, from the Kuna Indians of Panama. And it's a ceremonial rattle that a father gives his daughter on their phase of life transition ceremony. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Well, um, so powerful. So I traveled to, obviously, the Kuna Indians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of went on the journey. Wow. That's, well, if that doesn't get you on a journey, nothing would. I mean, <laughs> nothing could. You know, I'm a big believer of signs, uh, of the signs that are around us that a lot of people dismiss. And uh, sometimes they're so powerful. Obviously, this was a very, very powerful uh, message, I think, that your daughter sent for you. And I think, uh, it, you know, it's. Uh, I can share one briefly, but, you know, my favorite aunt, she passed away. And my cousin, 
who comes to, I live in Miami now, but they were living, uh, you know, there, I was born in Venezuela. And uh, when I turned 40, she was already dead. And uh, my cousin that never calls me, he never, ever calls me. Uh, but he comes to Miami back and forth all the time. That day he calls me. And uh, I'm thinking he's going to say happy birthday. It was my 40th birthday. So it was a big one. Maybe, you know, maybe he remembers somehow. And when we speak for uh, like 45 minutes, we are about to hang up. And I said, you don't know it was my birthday today, right? And he said, no, it's your birthday? And I said, wow, thank you. You just gave me the best gift. I know my aunt just made this happen so that I knew uh -huh. that she was uh, thinking of me. And I'm convinced, you know, that that was the case because he never calls me. And then he calls me on my 40th birthday out of the blue. So there are things like that that stay with you, even if there's, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, even just to go back to my field, this is very easily, this is just a common story. EEG was invented. The father of EEG back in the 1930s started uh, using EEG to study how like people communicated through like ESP. Okay. Um... That's true. He fell off a horse uh, in the war. Franz, Dr. Franz, and uh, he, uh, his sister at the same time knew like something had happened to him and he just wanted to figure out what it was. So he started recording, recording brainwaves and uh, of his son. And that's how the whole science of, you know, electroencephalogram and reading brainwaves was actually started. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, from, from a day-to-day -day need to something that goes and, and transcends. And so you started, you know, obviously the work you're doing, it's uh, very advanced. I know you, you have patents and, and design, and I mean, I'm into telecom, so I'm familiar with what artificial intelligence is doing. So that's, I, I'm very intrigued by that. But I want to backtrack it. So you started your journey from something so personal to you. And uh, in a way, I feel like your daughter took you back into into your life bit by bit. Could Correct. I, could you say yeah, that? Yeah, I see that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's it's that's the, it's a bittersweet thing to say, and it's a bittersweet thing to think. And and many people that hear that don't don't appreciate that. But yeah, I see that as a mentor or a teacher to some degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so so you were surfing. You were, and then what happened? Was there yeah, a point? Yeah, I went surfing. Yeah, I went, you know, I mean, maybe proactively, maybe retrospectively. I mean, I definitely went to maybe go drown mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I tried. But you didn't, but you didn't. And then you, you, you're you doing amazing work. No, so. I went out in this very big wave day and my board got separated from me and I went under and I got held down for a very long time and I thought I was going to die and Pele led me back to the land, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the day kind of that things shifted for me. Then, okay, well, yeah, I mean, very, very definitely impactful experiences. If anybody uh, knows surfing, it was the same day that the Eddie Akau ran. So I was on Big Island surfing 69s oh. the same day, the, the big wave competition that only runs every 10 years, you know, or oh so God. was running on Oahu. Yeah. <laughs> Holy, so you, you, you were definitely uh, <laughs> on a mission, it seems. Yeah, definitely. Either to enter Adrenaline the, rush. <laughs> yeah. The world record yeah. of uh, surfing big waves or something else. But I'm Nowhere glad. near. <laughs> no, there are guys out there that are just take this to another level. Nowhere near it. Really? But, uh, well, and... Uh, I'm, yeah. 
I am definitely, I am always intrigued by surfing. It's something I've never tried. And the only time I've been in Hawaii, which would have been perfect, I was pregnant. And so I told my husband, of course, we had to come here when I'm finally pregnant. <laughs> He's on the surfboard and I'm, I couldn't that even have a plan. Yeah. And I couldn't even have a drink on the beach, <laughs> right? No alcohol, right. no surfing. <laughs> But it reduces a, the price of the vacation. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a it's a reason to go back to Hawaii and experience it because definitely I I can tell that I would enjoy it. I like the water. I like speed. I I'm a decent swimmer. I feel comfortable like any Venezuelans. You know, we we have the sea around. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it sounds like a, a great great uh, exercise and sport. How how often do you go out these days? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah not not very much um the this is the worst it's been a very bad surf season uh, <laughs> it's just well well you know for the first portion of the year the beaches were closed here in costa rica and then uh when they opened they were only open certain times of day so that had to coincide with the tide and the waves and my work schedule mm -hmm. and uh now we have this very very awful uh hurricane here Yes, I know that the definitely uh, Hurricane Eta, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, just to give reference to when, from when we taped to when we're going to air the interview. So, so definitely you had a, the most type of dramatic back to basics that, that, you know, uh, one can yeah, have. I think so. Yes, uh, no, absolutely. Because so we, we always talk about what kind of back to basics and, and it's, you know, now that I'm also doing a, a fantastic, uh, actually live course with a spiritual teacher called Adyashanti. Are you familiar with him? Perhaps. Uh, he's, he's a spiritual teacher and, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, he blends a lot of like Buddhist with Christian teachings. Very fascinating. But, you know, basically he says it's one thing we're, we know for sure that when you're ready to evolve, that the life gives you these tests that are, you know, like, uh, We don't ask for, but they are there to to ensure evolution, unfortunately, because it's like you much rather maybe say, no, I'll stay as I am. <laughs> well, But, certainly that's what, you know, was part of this. I wouldn't be here today and have uh, made my invention if it wasn't for all of this. And I think time and thinking, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you are in Hawaii and then you have this experience and now you're thinking, okay, now if slowly you start getting back into track, into, into your science and what you enjoy. So after the experience with uh, Pele, I guess it still wasn't, I wasn't going to go back and do my job again. No, I didn't know what really I was going to do. Um, I was actually mostly living on like a couple different people's farms doing, you know, kind of like freelance medicine, like more tropical stuff and uh, some shaman teaching. I was learning from a shaman. And then I was in one of these, um, what's called a Vipassana meditation retreat. It's a 10-day meditation retreat that I got very involved in doing. And uh, I just sort of had this uh, epiphany I was like, wait a second. I, I had remembered reading something about the Buddha saying that not everybody in this lifetime can reach enlightenment. And not that I was enlightened, but I was feeling so good that I was like, oh, people have head injuries and PTSD. And, and Buddha didn't really know. He couldn't look in the brain, at least as far as we know, couldn't look in the brain and 
know that and actually have something that could actually help it so people could meditate. Because like just physiologically, if the brain is injured, getting oneself into a pattern where the entire brain is in that meditative state is impossible. It'd be like trying to run with a broken leg, but you can see the broken leg, so you don't ask somebody to run. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And there's so many, I know that the traumatic brain injuries, uh, I mean, are common and right. So or, yes. It's, you know, any more common than people really realize. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so it's definitely something that, uh, that bringing up and even having the conversation, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's just natural that the brain doesn't remember when it gets injured. So individuals don't remember that, that they had that until they really start talking about it, thinking about it, figuring out when their symptoms started. And I find that, at least in the psychiatric community, I think as much as half to two-thirds have who people who just don't seem to get better on meds, don't seem to get better and just, I think that they are suffering from traumatic brain injuries, uh, upwards of two-thirds of them. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you know, your story is fascinating because uh, definitely to see a, a doctor, you know, someone with so much, I mean, I'm going to put your, your information, of course, on the show notes, but guys, check it out. I mean, you have so much education and you're, you're someone that definitely spent, burned your eyelashes, as we say in my country. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Te quemaste las pestañas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stu see, studying, you know, and so, and then you go and then you, you were open through unfortunately traumatic experiences in life to the spiritual, a spiritual path and exploring. And in a way I'm like you, I like, uh, I know about the, uh, you know, shamans and I interview people on the show that, uh, you know, um, go into, into life with a very different approach than maybe the standard. But then mm -hmm. you find a way to marry science with the spiritual aspect and finding way and, and very advanced technology to now bring something that helps people. And that uh, is brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it is. I One of the things I have found in this journey and in looking into the brain is that I don't believe that that's where you live. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's not uh, absolutely. And and so, where would you say? Where do you live? I don't know. Hmm. Yes, that's the question, right? That's a million dollar question. Where do we live? It's not here. It's not. It's not. It's not up there. And it's funny because that's I don't know now the the exact statistic, but into mindfulness practice, I know that they say you know like. 70% of our thoughts daily are repetitive, something like that, like a huge <laughs> amount of the, of the thoughts we have on a daily basis are recurring thoughts that are majority negative thoughts. And so that is scary because it's like, my God, we have all this power up there and, and time and space and we are using it for something that maybe doesn't give us too much peace. I wonder if it's gone up too since people have been less distracted with moving around and been more sort of in their space. I think, I think definitely I feel that people uh, open up some space for different things. And, and even the virtual capability that we have right now, it's allowing people to connect with things they, they weren't connecting before. So I definitely hope that uh, some of that space is put to good use. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> 
So tell me about your company and, and, and the initiative that, and what's your goal? Like, where would we say I'm successful into what I'm trying to do and you're spending many hours working hard for? Well, I think we are successful at alleviating suffering. That's a big, that's a big goal. Minerva is uh, my company and um, we have been doing this. Well, I've been doing remote neurofeedback for many years. I started this in 2005. So um, I'm one of the first people to start putting, doing neurofeedback through the internet. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until some technology got to the point where it was got very much at least easier. I'm not going to say easy, but easier. And uh, that I, you could really start doing it. So that's when Minerva sort of formed in that, uh, this idea that we could actually reach people all over the world. It doesn't matter where you are with our systems, which are the state of the art systems and offer what we think is the, or it is the best neurofeedback that you can get anywhere. Hmm. And here is a, excuse my ignorance, but I want to make sure that if people are listening to you and they, they, they hear stuff that say, oh, maybe they can help me. Like, what do you think would be the ideal candidate to say, if you have suffering from these things, we can help. I want to make sure that people out there know if you can help. I don't say this like jokingly, anyone with a brain. Who can exercise help? Hmm. That's, it's like the same question to me. You know, is there anyone that shouldn't go to the gym and exercise? Certainly, yes. Absolutely. There are certain people that have medical problems and conditions that should probably see a physician and then probably have special care if they're going to embark on any kind of physical activity. And it's going to be the same with anything. And neurofeedback is similar. But, I mean, that being said, it really lends itself to there's two parts, first of all. When we're talking about neurofeedback, we're talking about brain mapping. Mm -hmm. And then one technique, one thing you can do to assist your brain amongst many, right? So the first thing that is most important that everyone, I think, should have is a brain map. They're easy. They're non-invasive. They create a time library of your brain. So even if your brain is working optimally, you can have a picture of your brain working optimally. So in case in the future, you have a file of when your brain worked optimally. So you could potentially boot it back to that file. Wow. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I love it. I got one. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a... I got my 38-year-old brain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, that's good. And it makes total sense. Like in the telecom world where I live, you know, they're now they're talking about digital twins. It's all about what people are talking. And it's also about the network, network configuration and telecommunications. And you want to know how the network was before the hurricane hits, for example. So it's the same thing. Exactly. Oh, I get so, it. So, so you start with even healthy individuals for a brain map, but then for unhealth, for people that have psychological complaints such as anxiety or sleep problems or attention problems or memory problems or speech problems. You know, I don't like to get into conditions and disorders because they don't really speak to what's going on in the brain. Mm -hmm. But people who um, have a trauma, people with post-traumatic stress disorder, obviously, as we've mentioned, I said TBI, I should have been specific, traumatic brain injury. 
right? So there's, there's levels of that. And you can have, obviously, there's obvious where you, you know, um, I'm, I have one client now who's in his 70s, and he was a very active man who was unfortunately on his bicycle and hit by a car. And he has a plate in his head, and he, he's aware, but his speech is very impaired, and his movement is impaired. And this is something that is not expected to make him completely perfect and everything, but perhaps if he can gain a little bit better mood, a little bit better sleep, and a little bit better communication, then his quality of life will have improved. Absolutely. Right? Whereas then I have another child I saw in uh, Hong Kong yesterday or two days ago that the psychiatrist didn't know because it was such a confusing picture. And, you know, that's where a brain map can really help to give them uh, some appreciation about the inner workings and maybe help them with a medicine. So neurofeedback is only one of the things that people might do. Now, I don't do psychopharmacology or medicine anymore. I don't do other supplementation anymore. I just do this specialty and I use other people that are specialists in those things. So once I have a brain map, I know. But then neurofeedback is when you hook your brain up to a computer, you put a cap on your head and you're, the computer is reading your brain waves and it's like questioning your brain. It's like asking this like digital question over and over. And it's saying, can you answer it? And when your brain answers it, you see the screen light up, a movie will play. If you want to watch a movie or a video or you want to close your eyes and meditate, music will play a, a nice tone. And so it's helping your brain learn how to get better pathways. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, when you explain it like that, it makes total sense. It's definitely something that, you know, I think because they, there's big words used to into what you do in the medical field and, and people get a little bit like, oh boy, I don't, don't understand. But it makes total sense. And the brain map, I mean, total, it's logical. You know, it's one of our biggest, most important tools in our body. I mean, it's normal to go to the doctor. And I mean, imagine if, <laughs> when you went to the doctor and if you complained of chest pain, they never gave you an EKG. They just put everybody on art medicine or put everybody on Prilosec or something like, or, or I an acid. Um, it, it wouldn't, it, well, that doctor would get in trouble, but it just wouldn't make logical sense. And we're sort of doing the same thing in mental health field. Mm, yeah, it, it makes sense. It took, and to me, it's almost like it's good to have an ass built. Like when in the tower world, the telecommunication towers that I mean, we call uh, as built is how you build a tower. And it's the original specification, so to speak. And then you track what happens down the road. And so this is really, it's almost like uh, your design specs. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. There is a, um, an optimal way the brain functions. That doesn't mean that everybody thinks the same. It just means that the brain should flow and work in a specific fashion. Like there's ratios that have to match and different networks that have to communicate with one another. And people through life can wear grooves in their brain and they make pathways of worry, like you mentioned, and those are new pathways. They, you know, that, 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 you know, obviously things like cognitive behavioral therapy can help, but neurofeedback helps these without having to talk. Wow. Well, I definitely admire the work you're doing. It definitely sounds so amazing and interesting and uh, and that you're doing it remotely. I think that's definitely the future that you can help people that are in Hong Kong 
from Costa Rica. So I want to know the Costa Rica story. And 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 Dr. Starr speaks so such good Spanish, by the way. We we agreed that for this interview we were gonna do it in English, but because that's my audience, but Aprendí español en República Dominicana. Ay, I learned I learned Spanish in the Dominican Republic. Uh-huh. Yeah, another beautiful country. So you definitely gorgeous you pick them well. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was in uh, Hawaii and I had originally gone there for a job as a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it at all. Mm. I couldn't use the brain scans. I couldn't. It was meds. Okay. It was a lot of money, but it was nuts. And I couldn't, and I crashed. That was when I burnt out before the wave thing. Uh-huh. I like one day just couldn't drive my car. I literally, like my car kept going. Oh, wow. I drove by the hospital. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. And I called them and I'm like, I can't come to work today. And they're like, uh, are you sick? I'm like, no. <laughs> they're like, are you be in tomorrow? I'm like, no, you don't understand. I can't come into work anymore. Wow. They were like, I see. <laughs> They knew. <laughs> Not they good knew. for the career. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you didn't compromise. You didn't no, compromise I wanted to go yourself. drink kava, meditate, surf, uh-huh. figure out the rest of my life. I had more important things to do. Yeah. And but, also the patients were, were complaining to me. Uh-huh. Not to me as a doctor, but because I was in a situation where they were being mandated by the course to take medication and didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I was like doing terrible damage to my own karma. At that point. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love it. I love the story because people. So I had there. no money mm-hmm. in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That's why I was living on people's farms. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a way. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the food is very plentiful there. People really, I and mean, people leave out shopping carts of, of fruit on the side of the road. It's really That's unbelievable. It? Yeah. Island living. People take care of you up there, not in the tourist areas, but when you go up into the up country and stuff like that and on the some of the smaller islands, it's really beautiful. It's really, really wonderful. That's great. So, um, but anyway, I, I had heard about um, the same kind of wind and wave conditions in a place called Cabarete uh-huh. in the north coast of the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Yep. And I visited and I was like, wait a second, like, how much is a beer here? How much is a (laughs) burger here? What? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. So I just, I went back out of my stuff and moved, took my dog and I moved to the DR. I didn't speak any Spanish when I got there. Mm -hmm. I was like looking in a book like, Puerto Camarones, Ajo, Cerveza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned Vestida de la Novia muy, muy rápido. Oh, that's, boy. The, that's the frostiness. <laughs> yes, on, yes. On the yeah. Just for people that didn't know, it's when you get a very, very cold beer and it has the white on the outside. Yeah, the cover. So, yeah. So I loved it there. I was great. And then I have met my current wife, who's Australian. Um, she was actually, she's a, a firefighter. Oh, who was like, they go on walkabout when they're not working. Uh-huh. So she was traveling and um, she never left the, the DR when she came there. She, we just sort of hit it off. And then um, we got married and we found out we were going to have our first child. We have three now. Wow. And when that happened, we started looking where to have the child. Um, we looked at a whole bunch of countries. Actually, Venezuela was very high on the list. Uh, it's a beautiful Il, country. Il Yaque. Uh-huh. Il Margarita, yeah. It's a uh-huh. very Margarita. good, yeah, very, uh-huh. very good surfing. I, and I have a lot of friends there, but this was in 2013. Yeah. So no. we just weren't sure. And like, 
Yeah. You make a good call. So we, we did, but at the time there was nothing to, to worry about. There wasn't, it was just, just, just starting there. Yeah. May, maybe in the future, maybe in the future. Hey, my parents are oh, Italian. Definitely. My parents are Italian and they still live there and they moved there when they were older and they don't leave it. I mean, they love yeah. it. We started seeing um, our friends coming back from yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you made a good call. So then you were exploring. So Panama, we went to Panama, we went to Costa Rica, we went to like St. Martin, um, a bunch of other places. And just this, it was just Pura Viva. It was yeah. like, oh, wow, this is gorgeous here. Plus the internet infrastructure is really good here. The educational system is great. The healthcare, you know, I mean, it's, it's a good, I, I love it. Here. It's the only country, one of the only countries in the world without an army. Right, it's it, one of the five. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's an Costa. I'm a big fan of Costa Rica, and in which in which part of the country are you? I live in the um, south southern zone. Okay, great. In the Osa. Yeah, very beautiful. Very yeah, beautiful. on the Pacific coast, I can see the whale's tail from like if I were to open my door, I would see the whale's. Tail. Well, wow. no, I wouldn't see it today. <laughs> well, that's uh, that that's amazing. You know, it's uh, your story with the challenges and the blessings it's definitely inspirational i think that that's anybody listening to this would say you you definitely eventually build a life that seems to make you happy because you see you have a very calming and good energy so i think uh knowing what you've been through it's uh it's admirable well yeah i feel that way i can't disagree with anything you said <laughs> Well, <laughs> is there anything else you want to share with the audience about your initiative or any any message you want to send out? Yeah. Um, I mean, just, you know, with regards to uh, neurofeedback as just a real tool to assist people who are suffering. It helps children, adults, it helps people who are older. And you can do this in your home effectively. And um, so for people that really don't, I know what to do, where to turn, even just getting a brain map to get some answers sometimes can just be monumental in their road to recovery, even if it's not neurofeedback. Great. And we'll definitely make sure to put all the company's information and how people can find you and if they need. And, uh, and the last question of my interview, every interview, and uh, it's about what makes you tick. You've shared with us surfing for sure. Is there anything in your life right now or any other tool that you're using right now that makes you tick and makes you exciting again? And I mean, obviously my children give me all of, you know, and, and I have a, a wonderful wife and partner as well. So obviously these things are just integral to have a good base of the pyramid. I like to, I'm, I, I like to cook. Okay. I like to cook really <laughs> intricate, long, difficult, um, cultural cuisines you're a neuroscientist i couldn't expect less from you <laughs> so like i can make a really good mole okay um i made peking duck takes like a week mm -hmm. oh wow um, yeah i made some ethiopian food with the you know fermenting of the bread and everything like that so we don't get anything out here in the jungle and for a foodie for somebody like me that loves cuisine you know you get like lonely for things mm. So, yeah, I have today planned some some delicious dish as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're making me hungry. And these are things you're <laughs> right, that they're not easy to find. Even I live in Miami and uh, my husband's family, one side, he's Dutch, but his dad was, his grandma was from Indonesia. And, uh, and so he introduced me to Indonesian food and I love it. 
And we cannot find a good Indonesian restaurant here in Miami. The only one good one already is closed. <laughs> we actually have an Indonesian restaurant of all things. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, well, every time. Next What's time- the dish called? Nasi, nasi Kamada or something like yes, that? Yes. Uh, Nagumasi. I, I don't know. I yeah, mean, yeah. Here, I'm going to have to look. Maybe I'll cook some. Uh, yes. Maybe oh. you inspired me. Okay, good. That's the whole purpose of this. And <laughs> and, and you need to stay dry because I think that the rain that we do have is on the way to you. Yes, it is. For this weekend, it's forecasted. And uh, so thank you. But, you know, yes. I became a fan through this conversation. I definitely admire the work you're doing. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and, and coming back to basics. I had a great time. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Dr. Starr. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. And until the next time. <laughs>